Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We'll rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched If Looks Could Kill. could kill, Michael Corbin is a top-secret CIA agent deployed to France on an international mission. A different Michael Corbin, played by Richard Rico, is traveling to France on a summer school trip. When the actual spy is killed, the student gets wrapped up in a dangerous case of mistaken identity. Screenplay by Darren Starr, directed by William Deere, and released on March 15th, 1991. Have you seen... This movie before? Yes, I you have. have? Yeah. <laughs> I have not. I, I, I don't know. It's something that's been on my video shelf for a long time. And I never think of it as a 1991 movie because it feels very, I don't know, like the whole concept feels 80s to me. Yeah, this is like, it's, yeah, I didn't realize this was 1991 as well because I remember watching this, this was on TV a lot. I don't know if it was on HBO, but I just remember it was on TV a lot, and it reminds me of, like, the screwball comedies, you know, like Ski School or Summer School, yeah, that type of stuff, which was, like, late 80s. Yeah, it's like Up this... until 1990, like, because Ski School is, like, the last, that was nineteen ninety. Yeah, I wish it's not. I wish it was ninety one, but it's not nineteen ninety one. Uh, it's ninety. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's very reminiscent in a sense of like Never Too Young to Die, which is you know another high school student who's a spy. Remember the John Stamos movie that we watched a few years back? Was, yeah. And it has Gene Simmons as opposed okay, to Roger yeah, Daltrey. Yeah. Um, so. You know, it's that same type of thing, then, like this young kid yeah, getting this, wrapped up into spy stuff. That's actually good, because then you had stuff like Spy Kid, or Spy Kids. That was like early 2000s. Yeah, but I'm thinking of other movies where it's like, a kid has to be in charge of something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, I don't know, this movie is less... He's like, he's like thrown into it. Spy Kids, I think, like they 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 were like born. In, I I they were, um, yeah, they're sort of like part of their identity or whatever. Same thing with like Never Too Young to Die. There's like a family connection, and that's why he gets wrapped up into this. This is just straight up. Oops, we're making a mistake as to it's which just Michael Corbin because of is. a name. Yeah, um, but it, it is very like high concept. It's very. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's very screwball. It's very. But it's like, it knows that it's gonna be cheesy, and they give into it. But I like it. I think they, yeah. I mean, they lean into it a lot, which is good. 
they know that they're basically like spoofing the spy genre. It's sort of like Hudson Hawk in that way, where they're you know spoofing action adventure spy movies. But unlike Hudson Hawk, they actually do try to implement some spy technology, some plot, some intrigue, some action. But I think that they rely on the situational side of things in terms of the actual comedy. There aren't a whole lot of good jokes in it's, this. No, but I was like, cracking up at just how... Awkward? No, I don't know. <laughs> some, like, some of it was The awkward, acting though. is... I mean, there, there's some good parts in it. There's some good lines in it, too. But like, some... My... Most of them revolve around the French teacher. In my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mrs. But I was thinking of the main bad guy, Gus Dorenko, because I think he's just a good villain. Like, he's in Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yeah. And he's also a good villain in that. So I think he's just very good at being funny but serious i don't know how to explain it um but just like my favorite part is just he's like excuse me who are you yeah. <laughs> like that, but i know it wasn't meant to be funny but i was just like the way he no, delivered I, I think that is meant to be funny. okay the way he delivers it is just hilarious because like okay that that's what i'm t- okay the delivery is funny um, yeah a lot of what people are saying i guess like there there are some good legitimate jokes like that one where okay he's saying that to the french teacher the french teacher and the entire class who's like suspended above a a cage of like there's molten gold gold, and and they're they're in a cage above that because everyone thinks that they're also mercenaries as part of like this mistaken identity they think that the french teacher and this band of high school students is a mercenary group that's there to help michael corbin or whoever so everyone's also against them, unbeknownst to them. They're trapped, whatever. And then, like, the main villain at some point is like, wait, because like, the French teacher is, like, talking back because she doesn't still fully understand the situation at all. Well, she's screaming all. for help, and she's like, you guys gotta let me out of here. And he's like, who are you? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> what is going on here? Um, but it's like, the way he said it, it's like he was bothered that they were even there. Yeah. It's like, shut up, I'm planning something. Right. Yeah. But then you have the other side of the coin where some of the jokes are at the beginning where, you know, the valedictorian Melissa Tyler is giving her speech and at some point she says something that's like sort of like we are the world or something like that. Yeah. And then they just like wave their hands back and forth and that's the joke. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of that type of humor in here instead. That doesn't like land. that wasn't really the the other stuff that made me laugh was the different drivers yeah. for the school bus. Yeah, and, and I think it's also because of the delivery, like yeah, okay, so there's like they're on this school trip where they're trying to go around. The idea, I guess, they don't, I don't, maybe they explain it, I just miss it. Um, is that the class is going around to different locations in Europe to well, in learn France. about stuff? Yeah, in France. And so they're, you know, it's like a road trip where they stop in different spit spots along the way. And at various different points, because of the mistaken identity, the real bus driver is like knocked out and replaced by this other guy, Jean-Claude. And then at some point, Jean-Claude is like killed and replaced by like a intelligence officer or whatever. And every time that happens, like the new bus driver just boards the bus. It's like, 
hi, I'm your new driver, whoever. And they're like, bonjour, or whatever They don't, they do not give a shit that it's a new guy. Yeah, they're not, like, questioning, like, why do we have four different drivers? Because they're probably just like, oh, this is customary here? I don't know. It's like, oh, shift change, or something (laughs) like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, that kind of, like, aloofness is what's, what's most funny. Or, honestly, just some of the jokes about how cheesy and bad they are, like the x-ray specs. Yeah. Where you have him trying to look at women without their clothes on or whatever, and they're covering up, and he's like, ooh, or something like that. You're right. You know, that's so stupid that it's kind of funny because of how stupid it is. Yeah, because you would just, like, when even when he's being shown... When he goes to the spy place in in France, right? The British, whatever operatives, which is just like, like a parking garage. Yeah, yeah. The British intelligence—they're showing him all these gadgets, and the one guy puts on the X-ray specs, and he stares at the woman. Yeah, I, I don't know the, those glasses, the Bond but... equivalent. Is that Q that does all the? The spy gadgetry creation? Yeah, I guess. I don't know if it's Q. M is the money, right? Q is the... I don't know. I don't know Bond that well. Whatever. <laughs> the, the woman version of the Bond Q, M, X, right, her whatever. Vendetta. Whatever it is. Yeah. And then even the names of people are funny. It's just... I mean, it's also making fun of, like, Bond names. Like, mm-hmm. the the one woman, her name is Ariola. Yeah. <laughs> But the Ariola way she canasta, so she has like the gambling reference in there too. Right, but the but the way she says her name isn't exactly like Ariola. It's Ariole or something. But uh, yeah, just stuff like that is funny. But that yeah, that one guy is looking at Vendetta with those glasses, and he goes ooh, and she's like, of course you would do that. But so it's um. And it's, like, all the things that they showed him, they're like, here are the x-ray glasses, here's this gum that turns into a bomb, here are these shoes that you can, that, like, suction and you can walk on walls and ceilings or whatever. Right. And then here's a suit. All of those things that they showed him, he used. Right. Which is good. Which is good, yeah. It's not like, what is this fucking thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the movie actually has a decent progression. It's yeah. relatively natural. Even it's even though it's this weird, like, fish-out-of-water, mistaken-identity hullabaloo, it, you can kind of understand how it makes sense with how frantically it's pra- paced. Like, they set up the situations in a way it's like, all right, fine, suspension of disbelief, that's good, mm-hmm. whatever. Because um, <clears throat> basically what happens is, you know, they're they're about to go into the... The air, um, airplane, they go to the airport. The real Michael, Michael Corbin is there. He's an actual spy. And no one knows what he looks like, right? Nobody knows what he looks like in the intelligence world. They just know him by this name. And he apparently has this handler named Mother. And so he gets to the airport first. And then someone says, oh, you have a call. And it, it's, you know, it ends up being like a trap for him. And then... Um, there's like an agent change, and so when the the student Michael Corbin comes to take his ticket, he gets he gets the spy's ticket because the yeah. spy went to take a call and got killed. Yes, and, and so, so 
he's in first class and the rest of the class is like no way that's cool yeah, and stuff like coach that and, all this stuff. and then you have the french teacher mrs grober who's like pissed off yeah and trying that... to like get things done and and he's pretending he doesn't want to even go on this trip he's only there because this is you know one thing i don't really believe when he's there at his high school graduation he opens up the diploma and it says you didn't graduate yeah, you... Like, you actually need to have your French credits still. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not how these things work. <laughs> you would not be allowed to walk if you knew you were short. Um, they wouldn't just staple yeah, it to and your then paper. The, the only option for summer school was to go on this trip with the French club... Right, because so, the French teacher is the one who has to give the credits, and she's right. gone all summer on this excursion. Right, so she's she hates him basically. Yeah, she's like, I she want. She doesn't want anything to do. I picked she a doesn't seat. Want anything to do with her. I picked a seat where you're going to be sitting next to me, and I'm just going to be watching you the entire time, and it's you're going to have to work really hard to earn this credit. Right. And yeah. So yeah, he's avoiding her. He's and... avoiding everything. Um, and, and you know, there's, again, he's pretending like he's somebody else and that he doesn't know her and that she's bothering him. And then meanwhile, there's actually some other watcher handler there who's, you know, and overhears things. And there's the, the main villain's sidekick, Ilsa Grunt, is also there who killed the real Michael Corbin. And she poses as a flight attendant because she gets wrapped up in some stuff. And so she's, like, threatening people, too, and, like, poisoning the handler and all this kind of stuff. So there's a whole bunch of whatever is going on. Yeah. And then like as soon as they get off the plane... Coincidences. Yeah. <laughs> then, like, the handoff happens, and this guy Richardson meets him and shoots um, luggage to distract everybody, get them on the ground. And then he's able to escape uh, safely with Michael. And but the, the funny thing is that... You know, Mrs. Grober, when she yells for him, she says his full name. She Everyone says his full name all the time. She doesn't say, Michael, come here. She's yeah. like, Michael Corbin. And Every time anyone mentions him ever, he, they it's say his full first name. and last name. Like, mm-hmm. how? I don't it's like, I know you get it. It's a different person with the same name. Right. But how? I know Michael is a very common male name whatever but it's just like stop that kind of bothered me i was like stop saying michael corbett and then like he's not gonna look over his shoulder and then when he's being whisked away by the british intelligence in the car they're already like three blocks away and she's screaming michael corbett come back like he's really gonna yeah yeah it yeah it's but I will say Mrs. Grober is probably one of my favorite characters. Oh yeah, I like yeah, I like <laughs> so, that. I like that actress. Yeah, Robin Bartlett is the actress in that. I mean, this this has a very good cast of characters who are not. I don't know. Their performances are not directed well overall. I mean, they have their moments, but I mean, you don't really see the star power necessarily of some of these guys like roger Rees, who plays the main villain or you know even linda hunt like she's she's fun but she doesn't like you know she's not as impactful as she is in other projects that she's done um 
and then you have Richard Grieco, who's the lead in this thing. And I, I don't know. I feel like he had like no charisma to me. I, 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 I think if but anything dragged this movie him. down is like it's him and how like, I think because I mean this is stone faced. Oh, I think this is like his first movie and like he's already like a heartthrob at this time. So yeah, of his modeling and whatnot. And yeah, I mean he's been like just, they just need like some hot guy to play some sort of charming. Guy. <laughs> yes. I just I, I don't know I don't know how much comedy he had done to this point, right? I mean he he's yeah I don't know I mean because I was thinking like wasn't he? I mean I looked him up and I I thought he was like on MTV. No, he's Twenty One Jump Street. Okay, like, that was, was his a... big claim to fame. Uh, Which I, mean, I never watched. Some of stuff. Like he, he Twenty One Jump Street. He was also on uh, another couple TV shows called Booker and Born to Run, and this is like his major thing. I don't know if any of those three are comedy they might not be and it doesn't seem like he really i don't know there's no charm like he i don't know he's like a young mickey rourke and like yeah and, and i and, think that's like the heartthrob like i don't know but girl, it's not like it's not appropriate for a comedy i get it <laughs> that's but i think it's just like trying to get like people to see this movie would be like oh richard grieco's in it he's so hot let me watch it or something yeah and, but and you can have people who don't have a history of comedy be your lead and, and have it work you can also have the opposite be true we've talked a couple times about like die hard and how bruce willis was known only for comedy and people were like oh, he can't do action he's a fucking comedian mm -hmm. and now you know that happened so i mean the opposite can definitely be true I mean, more recently, you can say, like, Chris Hemsworth or somebody like that. You know, like, he's known for his action first, and then he does, like, comedies and, like, does, like, Thor and also, like, Ghostbusters and shit. This just doesn't work for me. I, I think he dragged the movie down a lot, unfortunately. And then you have Gabrielle Amar, who's, like, the, the love interest who comes in, like, I don't know, a little bit more than halfway through the movie, basically. And that dynamic is like awkward. completely shoehorned in. They have right. basically like two or three scenes together and they're now in love after a couple because well, they bonded over a certain thing because he wants to help her venge for her father's death. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, did, it didn't play well. And he like and plays like into this, this spy <laughs> role. He's like, okay, everyone thinks I'm the CIA whatever agent, so let me be it and try to save her and like avenge her father and then save also save my teacher and class i mean you know he doesn't have other options i guess yeah. which you know is fine but i don't know i feel like she was phoning it in as well I mean, we, we've seen her in Wild Hearts Camp. Yeah, I mean, her in this role is just... The acting's... I don't know, whatever. A lot of it is is just not there. It's They say the words, but then cut, print, move on. You know, there's no, like, adjusting emotion for delivery into emotion. It. Yeah, like... 
I don't know. But I mean, okay, action wise, I think it does okay. Script wise, I think it has some problems, but yeah, action wise. I don't know. I thought that was fine. Well, I mean, I don't know. I I guess like situational too. You know, um, when he comes out of like the spy area, right? Mm -hmm. You know, he's he's being shown all the gadgets, and they tell him, "Here's your car. Here's your suits." here's some money, do whatever. And he's like, oh, so I can just take this car and go wherever I want, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you're a fucking spy. Well, they give him the one mission to find that, the Gus guy, and they're like... Go befriend him or whatever. Befriend him and watch over him. Because they think he's the next target. They don't think he's the villain. They think he's the next target. Yeah. So go protect uh, Strango. But I was thinking, like, how come... I was like, he automatically knows how to drive around the streets of France and stuff. And, um, he knows. Because they didn't really give, did they give him directions like, go here and blah de blah No. It's like, that's why I was like, how did he know where he needed to go? Because they didn't give him further direction. He just said, he just saw that cool car and he was like, wait, I can take this? And they were like, yeah. So he just automatically goes. Yeah. I have less of a problem with that, and I have more of a problem that as soon as he leaves the secret agent hideout, he is immediately tailed by two different people who are waiting for him to come out. Because they know where the British intelligence office headquartered or whatever. Yeah, so it's not very secret of the secret agents. And then, you know, the fact that, like, when he's driving in the car, he's trying to get away from this guy, Zigsfield, Zigisfeld... He's like this, you know, he's the big bad meanie who says very few things and he has like a claw for a hand, which doesn't really impact the action a whole lot, but it's supposed to be there to look cool. Um, He's there chasing, and then you also have Mariska, played by Gabrielle Amar, who's there to get him to pull over and talk or whatever, I don't know. And and there's this big long sequence of him like trying to figure out like where the button to turn the windows down is and he's activating all of this spy shit and he's accidentally protecting himself and ruining Zigsfield's car and you know yeah along the way without knowing it yeah without knowing it which is all well and good but I think it's also weird that he's completely ignoring all this voice activated stuff or he just doesn't care about it it's like Rockets armed, and he's like, "Where's the focus? The window." He's like, not even like acknowledging the fact yeah, that but, like rockets armed was just said. Yeah, because he he'll do it like twice. He's pressing the same five buttons like two three times because he'll launch the rockets at least twice. Yeah, but I think he's he was just like frantically. Well, plus he's driving and, like eighty miles an hour. Yeah, and it's like just stupid, incredibly reckless driving, going as fast as possible in opposite lanes of traffic. And in the meantime, it's like, oh, rocket shoots, rockets deployed, parachutes deployed. And he's like, where the fuck is the window? Like, it's it's not like, oh, shit, let me turn that off, and then it goes off on accident type of thing. That I could, you know, that that makes yeah. sense. Like, oh, rockets armed, oh, shoot, I gotta turn that off. And then he hits another button, and they, they, and then they blow deploy up or something. And, and get the car. That's different than ignoring that it was even said in the first place. Yeah, yeah, And I think that's what bothers me is like well look if he really wants to talk to this person why are you still speeding at 80 miles an hour zooming in and out of like oncoming traffic i think he was just trying to keep up with her i have no idea i don't know but it's not a very good scene um 
And it's also just not very good action-wise, either. So, I... Whatever. Uh, there are some good spots, though. I think most of it is... I don't know. <laughs> some, some of it's, like, half-assed. Like I said, like, the, the x-ray specs. Um, you have... We talked about the shoes. They come about at the end, but you actually never see him on the walls. I don't know if they just didn't want to, like, do a green screen shot or something, but he's basically that's just, him. like, tilting over a rooftop, and that's as far as it goes. Yeah. With him on the, the shoes. Yeah. Uh, and then you just learn that they did climb down. Yeah. Afterwards. So he just slowly went down, like, a semi-slanted roof, where which you can use regular shoes for yeah. if you wanted to. Because like, he, he had to. You know? Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> those shoes don't exist. Yeah, like, the x-ray, x-ray stuff was, like, one shot. Yeah, but he gets... oh, he, So he's following Gabriel Anwar because he wants to talk to her. He just thinks she's cute and he yeah. wants her number. That's yeah, all Yeah, exactly. But she also, he, he also wants to know why she, you know, ram into him or whatever. But he follows her to that casino that he was supposed to be in. And then there's this whole thing with him not being able to get in. And the guy who's like the... Yeah, like the sort of bouncer i mean he's like he looks a, like, like a circus car- performer but. Yeah, yeah i was like is he just the valet or what because he also was like checking ids or something at the door mm-hmm. but yeah, the valet guy is just like talking to him in french like pretty much saying you can't wear what you're wearing because he's wearing like you know t-shirt t-shirt and jeans and like a like, he's still wearing like, like his a Letterman jacket coat, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, the Letterman coat. And, he, and Greco's like, ugh, like I, he's like stupid French. Like I, well not he's, not the people. He's right. like the stupid language of French. I hate it. Yeah. Like I don't know what he's saying. And then he goes parlez-vous on like he goes parlez-vous English, and then the guy's like, you look like a fucking slob. Change your clothes. You look like a piece of shit. Yeah. And then he's in the tux and he looks whatever fine. Right. Um, And then he goes and he finds Gabrielle Anwar and he just sits next to her at this high stakes table and everyone's like aghast because this is just kind of against the rules. Yeah. Like you're not supposed to be here. Pop in, jump into this shit. Yeah. yeah, jump into this game that's, like, halfway over. And, um, yeah, he's just trying to, like, get her name and then possibly get her number. And that's when Gus is sitting next to him. And he doesn't know it's Gus yet. But Michael is just like, bro, like, chill, I'm trying to talk to a lady and he touches him like on the, <laughs> the right. wrist and Gus is like don't ever touch me like he's disgusted yeah. that he was touched and then he's got all these like security dudes like what do you want me to do but then they have this aggressive game of like what were they playing I exactly think it's Baccarat? 
Is it? I think so. Because it wasn't really explained. Because I think he thought it was Blackjack. Because he was like, oh, Yeah, he tw- thinks it's Blackjack and it's not. Okay, because he's like, oh, 21, I won. And they're like, no, 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 no. The face value is a zero. Yeah. So that's why I think it's background. Okay. Because that would mean like, a, like an ace and a face card would be a one and you're trying to get to nine. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but he I doesn't... I just learned that recently. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Because, um, yeah, it could... Yeah, I think he's a blackjack. He's yeah, like, he oh, assume- I win. Yeah, he assumes it was blackjack. So he's like, yeah, I'll play. And then he, like, throws in, like, $20,000. And everyone's like, oh, like, everyone else at the table is like, this is highly irregular. And I think it's also above the max limit or something for uh, the table, too. But Gus is like, yeah, no, let him do it because he's losing and I don't care. I'll take his money. Right. And that's when Gabrielle Anwar, who, Marishka, she's finally says her name and you know he's trying to get her info she's like telling him to slow his roll basically Mm -hmm. but then she's like you need an eight to win and that's when he puts on his x-ray glasses and he's like wait i need to see more or something and that's when he looks around the table and you know that's uh gus's areola yeah gus is next to gus date at the time is Ariola, and he looks at her and you know he's like whoa and then he sees the card and it's an eight and he's like you know what i he says something but what he says a word i don't know i don't remember anymore that much like but yeah basically like the equivalent of all in i guess i don't know yeah the equivalent to all in and everyone is like also still aghast they're like oh like, you're going up against Gus, who apparently always wins. And Gus is like, yeah, yeah, just let him do it. He's gonna lose. And then when the card is pulled and it's an eight, Gus is, you know, rightfully pissed off, but, like, internalizing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he just gets up and he's like... Michael is like, wait, wait, can I, like, tell me your name and let me shake your hand. And he goes, Augustus Storinko. And that's when Michael's like, oh, I'm supposed to be protecting yeah. you. But then he gets, um, like, Gus's bodyguards, I guess. Right, yeah, his handlers <laughs> or whatever. His handlers are, yeah, start coming after him. And that's when he... He, like, runs away, but then he puts his arm... Like, as he's going to his car... He puts his arm... Because they have... Uh, they're going to shoot him. They have guns on him. And he just puts his arms up. And then, like, this gas comes out. And I thought this was funny. Because that valet guy goes, What did you do? And he's like, I just did this. And then he got... He, like, he passes gas, it. Yeah. yeah, I think that was... It, <laughs> but I don't think he realized... He's just like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. So some of the situational stuff is okay. Um... Yeah, then Gus is basically saying, I want to meet with this guy later on or something. But Ariola comes to the room or sneaks into the room or something, and she's there waiting to seduce him. Right. Uh, but actually kill him. Um, By using this poisonous like scorpion. scorpion. But apparently that's like Gus's... It's like the symbol. His symbol that's like on... I don't know, he had, like, a coin. Yeah, they don't really explain exactly how the plot works. Basically, he's killing off all kinds of different government um, finance ministers and taking all their gold somehow. And, and he's, like, it. hoarding it and, like, smelting it 
and producing his own coins, which will help him with like world domination. It doesn't right. fully make sense. Like it's not but really it's, fleshed that's out. That's kind of like how Hunts, Hudson Hawk when they were the the bad guys there. Were. Yeah, but that was a little bit different because like they're trying to find artifacts to help them like transmute other metals into gold. Okay, and, and then, this like, is crash like the entire economic him system. taking gold and turning it this into is, his own gold. Yeah, this is like him <laughs> taking yeah other countries' gold and turning it into his own gold by like creating these coins that has like a scorpion on it. And then that was you know he's gonna basically create his own. But it's like how would you. I don't. That's what I was like. How would it's, you use that as currency? No one's gonna recognize that. It's not fleshed out. It's not a good plan. It, it's just a weird little plot device, and it's a way to have like this big old vat of molten gold that you can use later. Why not just make like regular gold bars or something, and then sell it to whoever? But yeah, that's why I was whatever. confused by the whole his coin with the scorpion symbol on it but yeah so she uses the scorpion um but he thinks he's gonna get some and so he runs to the bathroom tries to fumble with some condoms and again like some it's a good like situational gag that doesn't play out as as well as it should but like basically there's like this tin of condoms that they're i think they're called combat condoms or something like that right and but like he, the idea is that they're in metal canisters each one is individually wrapped in a metal canister with like a um like an old school like military like ration tin and when you would eat like sardines like that sardine can you know yeah. when you got that little key thing you gotta you turn? To like twist the metal off of the top yeah it's that type of thing and, and, he's and it keeps on breaking and like messing up and meanwhile like this well because she starts uh, undressing him, and she tells him to close his eyes, and she's pretending to kiss him, but it's actually the scorpion that's, like, going up his leg. Mm-hmm. So then he's like, wait, hold on, and then the scorpion, like, goes up in the air and ends up landing on her, like, on her back of her dress. Yeah, inside her clothes. Yep. And she's like trying to get it but she's like bumping into things and all of a sudden the music turns on he thinks she's like trying to seduce him more by dancing and she's moaning too because the scorpion like got her yeah (laughs) or stung her or whatever and he's like oh i better hurry up but yeah whatever and then that's when the ziggs what is ziggs field comes by Mm -hmm. and he hears all the moaning thinks that they're both on the bed or whatever and so he just shoots the rocket through the door, thinking he's killing them both, but it only kills her. Yeah, and then when he's... This is also funny, too. When he sees her body, she's like a full-on skeleton. Like, yeah. she just becomes, like... Just disintegrated. Instant skeleton. <laughs> but he's protected by a normal hotel bathroom door, so... Right. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, like again, like, the, the near misses and all the escapes and everything, I think that's planned out well enough. Like, you know, right. that's, that's a clever way to get him out of that situation and, and everything. And this is when happens. we get to the point where like Storenko captures the the teacher and the classmates and it's like holding them in that cage. Yeah, then it kind of like, I don't know, the the, the last third kind of drags it at different points. Because when he meets up with um, Marishka and she tells the whole story about her father and she wants to avenge his death because she thinks that augustus killed her father and her father was like also a spy right 
And that was the beginning the of this spy, movie. Yeah. He's the spy who gets killed at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, it's which... the, it's like, I don't even know, like one day goes by and she's, uh, Michael Corbin's like, or Michael's just staying with Mariska for a day at her place, I guess. I don't even know. <laughs> at some point they're both in prison though. Right. But yeah, I don't, I don't fully remember all of those details it's not super important to me. But yeah, they just spend like a full day together and that's when they like fall in love yeah. within that day. Yeah. Because they, they play that song. When they're about to go avenge and find Augustus, they play that song, that Teach Me How to Dream song. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, okay, the music in this movie is... Interesting. Again, it feels very 80s. Yeah, <laughs> so, especially the teach me how to dream. Yes. Um, but yeah, so they go to the Strangulos hideout to try to like get him, and then the school bus also arrives because it's now being driven by one of Strangulos' henchmen. Or no, I'm sorry, it's actually being driven by one of the CIA agents. Yeah the 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 bus driver at that point. Yeah. The class is in the cage above the molten gold. Um, Stranko's gonna kill everybody with like some poison champagne and everyone needs to stop things from happening. Rishka and, and Michael Corbin get, get locked up and they have to use the gum dynamite to break right. out by killing the guard who steps on the gum and opening up the door and then uh, everything comes around and Michael Corbin is now just shooting a whole bunch of people. He's totally cool with killing yeah he's totally fine with killing now and then gun to mrs grover yes he first he saves his teacher and his class and it was like the way that he saved them was so funny because he just like shoots up all these people and then marishka's like here use this nitrous oxide to freeze up the gold liquid nitrogen or, or okay yeah liquid nitrogen and then by the time the cage was lowered it was stopped by the frozen gold and all they had to do was like reach their arm out through like a hole in that cage and just simply unlatch the thing yeah it wasn't locked <laughs> it wasn't locked or chained or anything it was just like a i don't know it was like a, a latch but at that <laughs> point michael is like okay telling his teacher i need you to like help me right now and he's like, you are now the French teacher. And then that's when she, like, takes her scarf and puts it around her ha head like Rambo or whatever. Yeah, he's like, you are the French teacher. Do you got it? He's like, and, like, something clicks in her head. He's like, yeah, I got it. Because, again, like, and then all, all, of the, all of the operatives at this point were thinking the French teacher was, like, a code word for this group of for militants. Like a, yeah, like, she's some other military operative, whatever. And so, yeah, like, oh, I'm the French teacher. And, she, like, it's, it clicks. Or... And then she just goes into, like, Rambo mode. And it's, yeah. And then she automatically knows how to use, like, a machine gun. Yeah, it's, right. like, it's, it's almost as if, like, she's been given a code word that unlocks secret skills in her head. Yeah. And that's when they confront... Well, Gus invites Michael to this dinner he's having for all those financial people i have no idea and he michael kind of just gets under gus's skin like just calling him out 
Yeah, because he says, you know... On this on his bullshit. <laughs> yeah, and, and they say the, the champagne is poison, no one believes him, and then he switches some glasses, and he's like, well, you know, let's drink up. And, yeah. yeah. And he refuses, and there's, like, the gunfight with, you know, the, the teacher that comes through, too. And, um, Marishka comes by, because she wants to kill Gus. She's like, you killed my father, and then... Actually, it was Ilsa's, like, no, I killed your father. And there's just, like, a tiny little thing. Right. Like, a little fight between them. And then Ilsa uses, like, her gold necklace as this long, uh, like, whip rope thing. Yeah, it's a cool device that we haven't yeah. really talked about so far. Yeah. She has, like, some sort of jewelry necklace thing that she just rips off and it just becomes, like, this very really big, long expandable whip. whip that she yeah. uses is a very effective weapon and i think that you know that that stuff's cool. all really well yeah. done the entire place is just like going up in flames and everyone's out of the house compound i don't even know <laughs> well i mean the, the reason mansion? it's up on flames is because of like the the crash that happens that we haven't really oh, gotten okay. to because uh and, and then we also haven't talked about how like uh michael fights zigsfield over the breaking gold you know, like the, oh, the solid he... gold. And so, like, that guy is dead because, you know, he punches his claw hand into the gold and it breaks. Michael's able to escape off of basically what's breaking ice. Mm-hmm. And then a uh, bad guy falls in, goes, goes sploosh. In, go into hot gold. Yeah. But then the two big baddies are there loading up all of this gold into a helicopter and it's too heavy, they can't get away, so they keep on, you know, throwing... Right. Well, they're they're also... Out. They're taking Marishka with them. Trying to. Yeah, but there's... The helicopter is... It's too, too heavy, heavy so they they throw Marishka out. And I was like, holy shit. Because they're, like, already high up. And, um... They still can't go. And then that's when Gus throws Ilsa out. He's like... Ilsa's like, we need to throw some gold. And he's like, no, I'm going to throw you. Right. And then she uses her whip to hang on to the, the helicopter that's trying to take off. Uh, meanwhile, possibly. Well, they're I don't remember. trying to get out of that mansion that's going up in flames. Yeah, and they're on the roof of this mansion. And that's when he uses those shoes to well, save they, her. They, they, shoot, they shoot the... Um, I honestly f- kind of forget how Il- Ilsa dies. Does I she think just she just falls to her death at some point because she's trying to get back into the helicopter, and then some of the gold falls out. Augustus is killed under the weight of the helicopter and all of his gold because think, they they yeah. shoot they shoot a hole in the bottom of the helicopter, and all the gold starts pouring out. Right, and he tries to say that he falls. And he's buried under it, and then the helicopter crashes on top of him. I think she is already, Ilsa already has fallen, because he somehow, um, like, kicks her off or something. I have no idea. It's disappointing that we already forget this, like, a day and a half later. Um, And then, um, but then, like, the propeller is, like, going along the roof and, like, chasing the good guys, but they're able to, I don't know. It's... It's a nice idea for a sequence, but I just don't think it was, I don't know. There's clearly, like, budgetary problems that make it so it's less less effective than it could have been if it were, like, a legitimate Bond movie, for instance. Right. Um, so, I mean, all of these things are kind of hampered a bit. 
But long story short, all the bad guys are dead. Now they just need to escape, and so they use the shoes, kind of, I guess, off screen. Uh, and then yeah. everything gets sort of like resolved. And Everyone down they below realize the teacher is, is like, a good where's, guy. yeah, where's Michael? And they all think he died, but he shows up with Mariska, and the French teacher is like, you've earned your credits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you have the British intelligence and the CIA kind of going up to Michael saying, oh, well, we need you for these next missions. And they're kind of like fighting over him. And he's like, no, I'm going to fuck off into the night with Mariska because I'm in love now. Yeah. Like, so he's just going to stay in France with her, I guess, for forever. I don't know. <laughs> and then there's the the good 80s sounding right. credit song. I don't, I didn't write down the name of it, uh, by Glenn... Medieros. It's If Looks Could Kill. Oh, okay. <laughs> but they don't say that. Most. It's like, called If Looks Could Kill, No Turning Back. No Turning Back. That's yeah. what's said most. Yeah. Yeah. The part that's in the parentheses. Uh, we also didn't talk about how we actually have previews on this VHS. Yeah. So we got to talk about that. Um, three things appeared at the beginning of the movie. Number one, Al B. Shore wants to talk to you about recycling. I don't yeah. know why he was chosen specifically I just, I for this it was, take it back campaign. Yeah, this was that his campaign or is just a recycling campaign that's like, I'll be sure you're the face of recycling. Like, please I, yeah, be I didn't, in our commercial. I didn't look into it to see if that was his actual organization, but I would assume not. I think he was probably just a spokesperson for it. Um, but it's like a quick little commercial basically saying, hey, recycle. That was weird. Yeah. Um, and then a very strange commercial for Nothing But Trouble, where it was a little bit of, I don't know, it was like a 30-second thing. And you have, like, these clutch cargo pictures. I don't know how many people know what that is, but basically, you know, um, you take a still image, you cut out the mouth, and you have actual, like, talking mouths. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it goes one by one to the four different main cast members from the poster saying, Nothing But Trouble. And then yeah. they show, like, a little clip of the movie, Nothing But Trouble. And then... It was so weird. Yeah. And then they at the end of that clip it was all the mouths making all four. All yeah, all four of the mouths making some sort of face. Yeah. It was like Nothing I don't trouble. know, like sticking their tongues out or whatever. It was a very strange decision. Yeah. Very, very weird. But I'm glad I saw it. <laughs> so we can laugh at it. Yeah, I guess it's just such a And then we see this Warner Brothers. It's cartoon yeah. promo for sign call this 1-900 number and you'll get the Warner Brothers catalog and you can get this hat, this t-shirt, this yeah, and it's, um, it's Daffy tie. Duck and, and Bugs Bunny. <laughs> yeah. Um advertising like all the stuff you need to watch a movie and it's like, "Oh, you also need your Warner Brothers baseball cap." Right. Oh, but you don't have one? Oh, you should call this 1-900 number and get the get money. The... Spend money on the 1-900 number to get the catalog to spend more money on the stuff that we're selling you. Yeah, the 900 number was a dollar 50 charge. Yeah. To your phone bill yeah. when you call. If you want I this mean, catalog. That's... That goes, that's like um, marketing for kids. They'll be like, well, I need this. Right. Because Bugs you Bunny also, told me. You could also mail away for the catalog. Yeah, but that no, they were option, encouraging but the 900. They were 900. encouraging the 1-800 because that's obviously going to make them more money. Right. Sending a 
Stan. Quickly talk about the cast and crew and the awards. There was a couple of nominations from the Saturn Awards, which covers both sci-fi and horror. Obviously, all this is like in the sci-fi side of things. It was nominated for Best Director. It was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for Robin Bartlett, Mrs. Grober. And also for Best Fantasy Film. Why which, fantasy? I don't know. Because it's like it's an, not strict 18 year old, an 18 year old playing a spy. Yeah. CIA person. <laughs> but yeah, like it, I guess just to have it in there. I, I mean, it's clearly not strictly sci-fi, even though you have gadgets, but that's, I don't know, not enough, I guess, to make it that. Um, it did okay on the box office. I don't know what the budget was, but it was like number 105. It made almost $8 million, which is a lot more than I expected it to. Um, but yeah cast and crew we got William Deere as the director and he also has a little cameo as one of the bomb testers when they're going through the, the underground whatever he's also Saturn nominated for Harry and the Hendersons uh, and Angels in the Outfield he wrote the story for the Rocketeer and he's also directed uh, some music videos for people like Cheap Trick uh, he did a movie called Time Rider he did some amazing stories and uh, Wild America Darren Starr is credited as the writer. He's an Emmy winner for Sex and the City, nominated for Emily in Paris, and also uh, it's just Emily in Paris. I think the 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 I think the intention is to have Emily the alliteration. Emily in Paris. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Emily in Paris, uh, and then also you know responsible for Nine Hundred Two One Zero Melrose Place and Younger amongst others. Yeah. When I saw Darren Starr, I was like, Oh my God, Darren Starr did this. This is probably the least Darren Starr like thing that I've seen of his. Well, yeah, because Melrose Place is, like, one of my favorite shows of all. <laughs> so it's, like, and that's, like, over the top. Like, this, like, his stuff is about, like, relationships and drama and stuff. And that's, like, the worst part about this movie is all the relationship, the relationship stuff drama. that they yeah. throw into here. So it's kind of weird. I mean, maybe we can accredit that to Fred Decker, who did the story, and then Darren yeah. Starr did the screenplay. Fred Decker did the, uh, also did the story for the 1991 movie Ricochet, but also uh, Night of the Creeps, Monster Squad, Robocop 3, and the 2018 Predator. He's done Tales from the Crypt, and the story for the 1984-1985 Godzilla movies, as well as the horror movie House. So you can kind of see like where the story probably formed from him, and then Darren Starr maybe tried to like punch it up and got credit. Uh, Richard Grieco as Michael Corbin. Also in the 1991 movie Mobsters, where he plays Bugsy Siegel, and we talked about some of his other credits as well, um, already. He didn't have a whole lot going on after this. I wonder if this kind of tanked his career a bit. I mean, after After, like, 94-ish, he kind of... He's still working, but, like, nothing majorly notable mainstream. Right, because... He did, I don't, this started in 1991, where all of a sudden he started to become a painter. And he also released an album in Yeah, he, he released an album, but then he still, I have his website with his art, and he still makes art. I mean, and good for him, if he can still, you know. Yeah, I mean, if that's. Supplement that with, you know, what he's random acting gigs here and there, then sure, you know, whatever makes him happy. Um, Linda Hunt played Ilsa Grunt, Golden Globe nominee and Oscar winner for the Year of Living Dangerously, Teen Choice Award winner, 
uh, two times over for her role in NCIS LA, where she plays Hetty and has done so for almost 300 episodes. She's been in things like Kindergarten Cop, Popeye, Dune, Silverado, and also the narrator of a lot of the older God of War video games. Um, Roger Rees played Augustus Starenko, Emmy-nominated for Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby. He's also a Tony Award winner for an eight-and-a-half-hour stage production of that. Could you imagine? Like, is that split up over multiple nights, I would hope? I don't know. Is it like how... If it's eight-and-a-half hours total like in like is that one just day like, yeah is it like one day with like multiple intermissions or is that like a multi-night event because good god it kind of sounds like it's it was one day <laughs> and like hopefully not too many performances because that sounds yeah. exhausting and, and difficult on the throat to talk that long um but he's also, as you mentioned he's in robin hood men in tights he's been in star 80 frida uh, the Pink Panther 2006 movie and a TV show Mantis. Robin Bartlett is Mrs. Grover, spirit nominated for H, which is something I had never heard of before. Um, in 1991, she was in Regarding Henry and mm. Deceived and a thing called Coconut Downs, which I don't believe is on our list. She's been in Moonstruck, Lean on Me, City of Angels, Mad About You, Inside Lewin Davis, and most recently, The Fablemans. Uh, Mariska, we talked about Gabriel Anwar. Uh, when we talked about Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. Geraldine James is Vendetta Gallant. She only has like one real scene where she's introducing all the spy tech, but she's also a very well-known, well-celebrated British actor. Bunch of BAFTA nominations for Dummy, Jewel in the Crown, Band of Gold, and The Sins. Um, and then we have Cynthia Preston, who played Melissa Tyler. She's been in like The Brain, the Friday the 13th TV show, Total Recall 2070 bunch of episodes of General Hospital, and she's also the voice of Princess Zelda in the cartoons from the 80s and 90s. Uh, and then Kent, who is the friend that we kind of mentioned there, um, he's like, you know, like the best friend of of Michael, uh, played by Oliver Deer, who is the son of the director. Um, last thing I want to mention is Carol Davis, well, two things. Carol Davis played Ariola Canasta. She's going to be in the 1991 movie Rapture, so we'll talk about her more later. And then um, last one is Blade was the spy that was killed at the very beginning. Again, very good interesting like intro things where you have like this snowmobile chase with bombs and things being blown up in the opening side. We didn't really talk about that too much. And then, you know, um, Linda Hunt kills him with her necklace whip, uh, played by Roger Daltrey, who's yeah. obviously best known for The Who, Golden Globe nomination for Tommy. Uh, he's in the 1991 movies buddy song and cold justice but he is you know definitely an actor along with a singer he's done things like listomania mcvicker and lightning jack so he's blade the the spy who was killed at the very beginning and uh the in-movie father of marishka who's named after marishka hargate evidently who was like a friend of the writer oh, okay. so. and that's all i have so we can move on to true crime and pop culture Okay, so, I mean, I'm going to focus on music, but this movie was released on March 15th, 1991, which was a Friday, and I didn't see any other releases that we, any movies that had the same releases it's a rarity. that we've talked about yet, so yeah, yeah that's a rarity. The closest one, the summer my father grew up, which was March 3rd, and I think March 
fourth was uh, Virgin High. Okay. So that was so like... So a TV movie and a direct video release. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the sound... I'm just going to talk about the soundtrack for like a minute or so because, I mean, it didn't chart or anything, but... But it's a fun one. Yeah. The music was by David Foster, which surprised me. I'm not sure if you know who David Foster is. Yeah, he's incredibly prolific, so... Yeah, he's... That doesn't surprise me too much, because... I just thought it was interesting because of the type of music he usually does, because he's mostly, like, a musician, composer, and, like, music producer for a lot of adult contemporary type music. He is... There was, like, a documentary that came out at the beginning of the pandemic that I thought was so interesting... Because I didn't realize a whole lot of stuff. I'm like, he did this song? Like, every song that's, like, a pop song in the 80s and 90s, he's probably behind. And it's called David Foster Off the Record. But, yeah, he's, like, responsible for um, the Bodyguard soundtrack where he came up with the idea of Whitney Houston singing I Will Always Love You. And he's also known for discovering Celine Dion and like Michael Buble or something. Stuff like that. But some of the music on here I mean just when we were talking about it, the song Teach Me How to Dream was by this singer called Robin McCauley. But he... He's this Irish singer that I guess he was well known in Ireland and this is like his only song that like really made it in the States. This is very much a power <laughs> palette. And then the last song which was playing at the credit is If Looks Could Kill No Turning Back was by Glenn Medeiros who he's a he was he's like a he was well known in Hawaii and he's like Portuguese, but he was like very prolific in Hawaii. But yeah, we looked him up and he did a lot of music for Miami Vice, but we thought he did the Miami Vice uh, theme song, but no, it was just music for Miami Vice. No, you mean Baywatch. Oh, Baywatch. Baywatch. Sorry. Yeah, like he's credited on IMDb, he's credited um, oh, with okay. like Baywatch with like theme and additional music. So I'm like, did he write it? And like another quick Google search says, no, he didn't write it. He did, he he did a have, lot of music for it. He might have done some like, I don't know, rearranging of the theme for background scenes or something. Who knows? Yeah. They also did like Karate Kid Part 3 and so a couple other things. Yeah. Obviously. And other bands that are on this soundtrack are The Outfield. Yeah. <laughs> they did a song on here called One Hot Country. I don't know. The the song that was playing when Ariola had the scorpion down her back was a Kylie Minogue song called mm. Better the Devil You Know. And then there's another song on here by The Fix. So it's just like very random. Mm-hmm. And... Now I'm going to get into the Billboard Hot 100. Since I haven't spoken about the Billboard it's 100 a in a while because it's just a lot of repetitiveness and I don't know, I skipped it for so long. But until this week where I was like, I've never heard of 
any of these songs. <laughs> so I was like, okay, it's time to look them all up. So this is the Billboard Hot 100, the bottom five as of March 16th, 1991. Coming in at number 100 is probably the worst song I've ever heard in my entire life. And it's by this band called Too New, the number two N-U. Okay. <laughs> and the song is called This Is Ponderous. And I played that uh-huh. and had to look at... It's just like jazzy whatever music and some guy just doing spoken word. And I, 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 just, I guess I don't like spoken words. <laughs> I'll say this, like, <laughs> from what I heard, right, instrumentally it seemed fine. Yeah, but I don't need some guy going, I'm walking down the streets and my shoes are all squeaky, or eat, or eat, like someone in the background making the squeaky sound. Yeah. And it just, bo- it's, I don't it's, like it at all. It's counterculture music. Yeah. And it makes me, remi- it reminds me of, well, one, that song that, that I thank you for your patience song that <laughs> yeah no one's gonna know that I know <laughs> it's like only between thing. me and you we heard it at a restaurant one time and it was like the... a song about waiting on hold yeah and that song really made me angry <laughs> some jazzy lady um it, it honestly reminded me a little bit of like a well it reminded me of the that Baz Luhrmann graduation. yeah don't forget to wear your son that's the other song I was thinking of the Baz Luhrmann because that song became that was huge popular whenever that came out and this was this song (laughs) this is ponderous it it's number 100 on this list but it reached number 46 in the billboard hot 100 in the year of 1991 and i want to know why (laughs) because it's horrible and then they have their i went on there they still have a website because they they have a quote best of album and i was like why (laughs) so i listened to more of their music and it's just worse it's it's the musical equivalent of going into a modern art museum and seeing a canvas that's just pure black yeah like like, yeah because like there's clearly like a statement being made there's clearly like thought behind it but it doesn't resonate it seems like the very simplistic shit like this is again very good musically but what i heard was just a rambling story that they just decided to run with and there's i don't know like it just didn't connect because it's it, you that's know, what i was like who found this entertaining and made it number 46 on the 100 yeah. for for the year whatever it's like performance art that somehow caught on a little bit but okay, anyway, that was number one hundred, and then the the next song coming at number ninety nine. I feel like maybe we've talked about, or maybe we've talked about this band and they did another song. But it's Cinderella. The song is called Heartbreak Station, and that is a power ballad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we've talked about Cinderella before. I I know we've talked about like metal bands doing there's a lot of power ballads on like in 1991 like they're all doing like soft rock because that's like this is kind of the tail end of that yeah the end it's like the end of glam hair rock so Mm -hmm. they're like okay let's do some 
soft rock to be relevant still. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But this is on their third album called Heartbreak Station that came out in November of 1990. And that's this song, Heartbreak Station, didn't even chart at all. It was another song from this album called Shelter Me that went up to number 36. And this one didn't make the charts. This is probably it. It was at number 99. It's like a one and done week. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And then coming at coming in at number 98 was a Hall and Oates song that I've never heard of. It's called Don't Hold Back Your Love. And that was on their 14th album. <laughs> I was like, whoa, because I mean, I don't know. They, I mean, they've been around like, since the '70s, but right. I don't really even know any of their '70s stuff. All I know is like their '80s stuff up until I don't even like Private Eyes. Like, what's that was like 1981? So I don't know anything after like 1985. But they they've been making music until 2006. Yeah. But this is on their 14th album called Change of Season, and that was released in October of 1990. And this song also did not chart too well. It was another song that was released later on called So Close that peaked at number 11 and was on... That was their last top 40 hit, (laughs) was this song called So Close. This song, Don't Hold Back Your Love, just missed the top 40, and it was number 41. Mm. Okay, the next band song, (laughs) uh, coming in at number 97, is the band Trickster, which had a song on the If Looks Could Kill soundtrack. But it wasn't this song that's number 97 on this this week's hot 100 this song is called one in a million and trickster this is on their first album that came out in 1990 and this i mean i know who trickster is but i don't yeah like i I don't pay attention like glam rock honestly (laughs) But this album, like, made them gold status. It reached number 28 in the Billboard 200 in 1990. And then they have other hits, including this song, One in a Million, which peaked at number 75. But the song that was on the If Looks Could Kill soundtrack was called One More Time, which I I listened to and, I don't know. It was whatever. <laughs> it was like another teach me how to dream yeah, not rem- situation. Not super memorable at the as to where it was placed in the movie. So, But another thing about Trickster that I saw was that they were on a compilation album for Nintendo. Okay. <laughs> it's called... I didn't... This came out in 1991, this compilation album. It's called Nintendo colon White Knuckles Scorin'. Did you, do you know anything? No. Did you have this? No. I, I just... I was like, what WTF is this? This uh, album came out in December 2nd, 1991, and Trickster is on it, but it's just like a mishmash of artists and songs in, that include Sheena Easton, 
Roy Orbison, Crosby, Sills, and Nash. I'm like, when you're playing Nintendo, you think of yeah. those people? I mean, yeah, I mean, when I was going over to my friend's house, those are exactly the bands. It wasn't like Criss Cross, A's of Bass, and shit, whatever I was, it is. I was know. so confused by that. <laughs> <laughs> Pop on that Crosby, Nils, and, St- and, and, and Nash so we can run some Contra runs. It's, I don't, I mean, maybe I'll talk about this more, because there's, like, the making of this Nintendo thing if we get to a December, I don't know if we have any December movies. It's tough, um, probably. Odds are in our favor. Maybe, but I just thought it was the, the people. Yeah, Yeah, the people that were chosen for this compilation are odd. Yeah. So, at number 96, I think I I've talked about this song or person before because I sort of remember her. Um, it's the song called Ooh, This I Need by Elisa Fiorello. And I think I've spoken about her before because I remember mentioning that she worked with Jelly Bean, and Jelly Bean yeah. is the guy, he was the producer that worked with like Madonna and Whitney Houston and Michael Jackson, like in the 80s. So I feel like I've spoken about her before. So I'm look forward to a more white knuckle gaming action, whatever it was called. <laughs> um, so we'll move on to rankings and ratings. Where on your one to five star scale are you going to put If Looks Could Kill? I'm going to give this movie a three. A three. I mean, that's that's your middle of the road. I'm going middle of the road, too. Uh, zero to four star scale, I'm going to say it's a two out of four. Better than I expected. But, I, you know, it had room for improvement, we'll say. Uh, every movie is worth watching once. Would you watch this again? Yes, I would watch this again. I, I would, too. I mean, it's it's fun. Like, it's, yeah. there's, it's well-paced. You know, there's I was action. laughing. <laughs> there's a couple good jokes in there. So there you go. Yes, we would watch it again. It was a fun, good time. Uh, if you out there want to watch If Looks Could Kill, as of this recording in May 2023, it's only available on VHS or DVD, but as always, check your local listings as that could change. As for us, you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991MovieRewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're continuing our action theme with Operation Condor. That's available on Pluto TV, digital rental, VHS, or DVD. We will see you then. Thanks.